Uh, this morning, I'm going to talk to you a few moments about uh, warring prayer. And before we do, I'd like to say today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And you know, um, that represents represents a, you know, a lot, as should to us all, the challenges that are before us, um, that the value of life is held in the highest of regards. You know, that the uh, newborn, uh, those conceived, uh, and those who are uh, brought to term uh, through birth, up from that moment of conception through birth and thereafter, uh, that child is God's handiwork. And so we pray um, for those today that are struggling with decisions and really thinking about how to deal with situations that might present itself and present themselves to people as an inconvenience that requires a, a very, um, you know, a very uh, severe course of action. You know, we, we pray that God will reveal to them and show them uh, his love and his, his hope. And we pray for all those who have been through abortions and those who have, um, have deep regret uh, and are living with the, uh, the regrets and the, and the guilt. We pray that as people come to the Lord, they will find perfect forgiveness, perfect deliverance from all guilt and all affliction. And uh, we pray this morning that we as a church will never waver on our commitment to life. Amen? That we stand strong on what God's design and purpose is revealed to be through the Word. At the conclusion of the service, I have a, um, uh, some uh, lyrics to a song that Tim Toms has written, and uh, he, he had given to me, and I'd like to share that with you, and I, and I will. But today, let's have a word of prayer for all of those who uh, are afflicted and, uh, deeply by this issue of life. Father, we, we pray for the children, Lord God, that, um, that you have seen, Lord, before they were conceived. We pray for the young men and young women whom you saw before they were conceived. We thank you, Lord, for every individual who's ever graced this earth whom you have seen before they were conceived. We thank you for the fact that you've had great hopes for all. You've had a wonderful plan in mind for all. And Lord, we know that sin disrupts the fulfillment of that plan, but Lord God, it it can be restored by grace and faith and repentance in Christ. We believe together, Lord, for those who are hurting today, hurting because they maybe don't know what to do, don't know where to turn, and there are a lot of voices that are speaking into the culture of uh, young minds and hearts. And Lord, we pray that truth will prevail. Lord, the truth of who you are and what your word declares, that there will be people along the way, Lord God, who will be committed to, to Lord, being your ambassador in all kinds of places, meeting with people who are struggling with these decisions. We pray, Father, for those who, Lord, have run so hard and so fast to the point of exhaustion, trying to get away from a sense of personal guilt. We pray, Father, that they would find that perfect grace and forgiveness and new life in Jesus Christ.
For believers, Lord God, who still carry that deep sense of uh, grief and, and, Lord God, that grief that drives to guilt, Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will set them free. Because, Lord, we say that God's grace is conquered by no sin. Lord, we believe that there's nothing that we've done that God cannot forgive us of. There's nothing, Lord God, in our lives that God cannot set us free from its effect and its impact upon our lives. And so, Father, let us be a place where people can come and they can find that there are others who have found grace and have found wholeness and completeness in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we trust that you'll do your very best to... um, to live, for, uh, live your life in such a way that others will see the Lord in every situation and that we'll meet people at ground level, you know, people that are at the intersections of life, that we can be there as lights. You know, uh, David said in Psalm 144.1, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And there's certainly more to that psalm, and if I, well, we were going to do an exposition of that whole thing, we would certainly talk more about different elements. But that one part of that package there, as David, a king, is contemplating uh, his life, and in part, David was such a warrior. He had become a warrior. He was a, so he was a warrior king. I mean, in fact, you remember when he wanted to uh, rebuild the temple, he wanted to build the temple. He wasn't permitted to do because he was, had had so much bloodshed and had been involved in so much war uh, that God had purposed in his heart that a man of peace would come and build that temple, and that would be, as we know, to be Solomon, his son. We use the word prayer warriors and intercessors, and, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I think it, it well identifies the call of the, those who are prayer partners and those who intercede on behalf and pray through situations, but we, we have to keep in mind that the war has, and this has been won, right? You know that. How many know the war has been one. That's not, there's no question about that. You know that. When Jesus said it is finished, he gave up his life on the cross, he, he, commended his, he committed his spirit to the Lord. You know, we think about, uh, to the Father, we think about when he came out on that resurrection morning and he, you know, we understand that the war has been won. That does not mean that there are not battles and spiritual conflicts that are happening in every realm of life. Uh, you know, Satan is not concerned about, in fact, he enjoys collateral damage. He wants to damage as many people as he can. He wants to destroy as many individuals as he can. In the bigger picture, the victory of the Lord has been secured. But if you don't live for Christ, you're living in defeat, right? And, and Satan always tries to redress the church, and he comes back to try to pull us into the lies that we have been left, we have been freed from. You know, how many know that you, every curse that has been ever spoken over your life, that its authority has been destroyed through Christ? You see, that's something that we, we say and we affirm, 
But we have to uh, bring our minds into alignment with that reality. We have to talk as though we believe that we have been liberated and set free from every curse. You know, not living our lives in such a way as to give the devil credit for something that he doesn't possess. He possesses no right of title to any part of your life. There's not one part of your life, past, present, nor future, that he owns any part of. Anything that comes into our lives that doesn't represent the truth of who we are in Christ and who God is and who we are is an encroachment of evil that seeks to assert, reassert those and reinsert those lies into our lives. It's not, you know, you don't identify who you are today by who you were before Christ. You're a new creation. That's what the Bible says. The old things pass away, right? All things become new. That is either true or it's not. How many believe that it's true? It's not partially true. Come on now. We, you, you say, well, you got to break it down to what it really applies to. Well, it says new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. So in Christ, we are new creations. And we, uh, you know, sometimes we have to convince our minds of that fact. Because we allow certain things to form in our minds that lead us to, to false conclusions. But so when we talk about the battles that we face, one of them is, in, is a mental battle. And we'll talk about that. The way that we think... Because the way that we think really affects the way that we live. It affects the way we see ourselves. It affects the way we see other people. And it affects the way we pray. You know, how we see ourselves affects us in the manner in which we pray. You know, when the scripture says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need, how many believe that that is a fact? We can come to the Lord in his authority because of what he has done and as, as, uh, because of who we have become in Christ, we have free access to that throne of grace to find help in any given situation at any time of need. And I am glad for that today. So when we talk about warfare, warring prayer, we understand that really it's a spiritual conflict. And that spiritual conflict has a lot to do with what the Satan is seeking to do in the lives of people on this earth today. You know, we, we sometimes uh, react, but we are called to be people who are, are, are um, proactive. We are to pray in advance. How many of you believe that we are not simply to live a reactive life? That means that we don't have a clue of what's going on other than when it happens. That means, you know, when the trains run over us, we realize the train ran over us. How many of you know that the church needs to be on the front end of things, not on the back end of things? Because if you listen to the way we talk about the world we live in, 99.9% of it is reactive. How much of what we say has anything to do with living a visionary life Living a life that says, hey, you know, when Jesus said that, uh, uh, you know, the, that um, he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. It's not a defensive term, right? It's an offensive term. We're, we're storming the gates. You know, we can't be a hold the fort kind of people. 
You say, well, that's my favorite song. Well, I would suggest you find another one. Because we're not just holding the fort. We're not just holding on. We're not just responding to what we see with our senses. See, we read the newspapers, we watch the news, we hear people talk, we watch actions in front of us. And you know what? Most of our response has more to do with what we see, what we hear, what we feel, what we taste, as opposed to what God is speaking. Yeah, because God has called you to be an ambassador. Amen? That means that you're representing him you're not, you and I are not supposed to come running back to him telling him all the time what he already knows about the world. And some of us, that's, well, oh God, the whole world is going down in smoke. I want to tell you, he's well aware before you told him that of the condition of the world. But God, help us to pray in alignment with you and who your word, what your word says. You know, because God doesn't want us to focus on the darkness. Amen? Doesn't mean we don't know that it's there. It doesn't mean that it doesn't break our hearts and bring us before the Lord with a great passion for the freedom of those who are held captive to it. But, you know, it's like my, my uncle Muggs, his wife's name was Toots, and so Muggs and Toots... Uh, my dad's sister, and, and uh, he, they've since passed, so I can talk about them. Uh, no, I love them. They were among my favorite people on the, on the planet. But my dad worked in a steel mill, and for many years, you know, he'd get laid off, and they'd have, they'd shut downs, and it was, sometimes it was difficult, and it was hard. And, uh, you know, I remember my Uncle Muggs coming and visiting with us and him repeatedly telling me, and he never, I thought, I don't know, he, my dad's name is Chuck Don, some call him Charlie, uh, he called him Charlie. And he would say, listen, Charlie, it's not going to get any better. So I thought, you know, my, you know, my dad's already like struggling with this, and it's always great when you have someone who comes along and says, hey, it's going to get worse. You can count on it. It's going to get worse. But I think as if we're children of the light, we, we have to talk, we have to introduce Jesus more aggressively. And you say, well, we're not supposed to, we're supposed to be gentle people. But you know, honestly, um, gentility is, is a character trait, not necessarily reflective of the course of action. Because you can't storm the gates of hell sometimes subtly. You have to take that position and that place where you stand up to be that representation of Christ in a place that is not the most convenient or popular. Because if you're going to live for the Lord, you might as well forget about everybody liking you. That's not going to happen. If everybody likes you, then it's probably because you're not doing something right. You say, what do you mean by it? Well, it says, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. You know, if that's what you're after, you better, you better just stay in the closet. Because the moment you step out into your faith and you live for the Lord, you become a target. You are a target. Any, there is a spiritual power that places a target on you. And that becomes evident very clearly. You say, oh, this, all this spiritual stuff. If you don't believe it, then why are you here? 
Because it is a spiritual life. It is a spiritual battle, right? You got me? This isn't about, hey, I want to bring my physical frame into conformity to something. It's I want to be transformed. I want God to be released through my life. Because if we could do this without the Holy Spirit, then we would have done it already. And the fact that we are where we are tends to show me, for myself as well, that we have been doing it at times without him and we reap what we get, we, we have sown. You say, this is a tough word. It is, because it's a word that God has challenged me with and spoken into my life about. So when we think about this spiritual war, David said, you train my hands and my fingers for war. You know, David didn't always and always a warrior. He was grown into that. He was a shepherd, young shepherd boy. He was familiar with the hook and, and the harp. You know, those were his, uh, his primary tools of um, his trade and his personal enjoyment. And, you know, certainly the harp continued to be. But, uh, you know, when you think about this, uh, as, a, as a, a warrior, he became acquainted with the sword and the spear uh, he became acquainted with things like a battle axe. He became acquainted with the bow and the arrows and the sling and all of these things. And, he's, and, and, and David, as a king, he's talking about God's preparing him to be a warrior and God equipping him to be a warrior. And someone said, it's interesting that it, 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 it never says, you trained my hands for war. It doesn't say that. It says, who trains my hands for war. An ongoing present tense. He didn't train me once, and then, you know, that's the training that I go run run with throughout the balance of this journey. But God continues to train us and to raise us up for this spiritual warfare. And we're going to talk more about what it is. But, you know, Charles Spurgeon said, and sometimes uh, this is something we've got to be careful of, He wrote of this danger, he said, using some weapons without adequate training, a danger in both the natural and spiritual realms, untrained force is often an injury to the man who possesses it, and it even becomes a danger to those who are around him. And therefore, the psalmist blesses the Lord as much for teaching as for strength. And so this isn't a physical battle that we're talking about engaging. This is a spiritual battle that requires that we host and accommodate the Holy Spirit. We've got to host and accommodate the Holy Spirit. That means that, you know, we can't do this because we're, we have enough personal charisma, uh, that we can, uh, you know, we have polished rhetoric. It doesn't mean because we put on the best show. It's simply realizing that in all of everything that we do, the Holy Spirit has to be the one who advances anything that's going to last for any length of time. The understanding the battles is a tactical advantage. You know, it was advantageous for for David to know how to use those instruments because, you know, the devil's never impressed with people who simply know how to talk the talk, right? Right? I mean, in fact, the Bible says, many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, right? And he says, I've done this, I've done that, and I've cast out demons, I prophesied, I've done all these things. And he's going to say, whoa. He's going to say, hey, bye, don't know you, never knew you. 
And, you know, that's a, that's a proposition that tells me that it's just not, it's not the external things that gets it done. It's the condition of the heart. It's the heart being in fellowship with God. Matthew 10, 16 says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That's a great combination. Be, be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as doves. You know, we need that today. We need to be wise. We need, not in our own wisdom, but we need to be discerning. We need to move with an understanding that God gives us. How many know that if the Bible says, if any man needs wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and who does not, he doesn't rebuff us or rebuke us and say, you know, get away from me. How many would say that in the day we live, God, one of my major prayer focuses is, God, give me your wisdom. Give me your wisdom that I can live this life as you want me to. David was more than likely was speaking of a a God training his hands for physical war. Uh, And uh, as we look at it, David was a remarkable warrior. I mean, he was a remarkable man of uh, war and valor. Uh, He was skilled in hand-to-hand combat and he used wisdom given by God again and again in his address of those who were the enemies of Israel. You know, we have to know our weapons. Nobody would be wise to give a child a gun. I saw a story about a, a man who had given a toddler a loaded gun. And that child fired a bullet off. I don't know. I don't think it hit anybody. But, I mean, you know, that's pretty, how many would say that's pretty, pretty dumb? To give a, give a kid, uh, uh, you know, they shouldn't, how many toddlers should be playing with guns anyhow, but to give them a loaded gun. And, you know, we can't just brandish what we believe to be the weapons of the Lord. We have to have a relationship with him in such a manner that he counsels us how to use those weapons. His, uh, David sought for counsel as to how to appropriately use those weapons in the context uh, of which they were needed in any given situation. Be trained to use them appropriately and properly. You know, no one should ever hijack a prophetic voice for their own agendas. No one should ever make any utterance on behalf of God that isn't really truly God speaking. You know, nobody should hijack any of the manifest giftings of the Holy Spirit for personal enrichment and personal gain. Amen? So anything we do, I'm saying any of it that we do, uh, uh, it it needs to have as its source the author whom we cite. And so whatever we do, whatever we say, However we pray, there has to be an integrity of personal connection and relationship with the one from whom we draw our authority. You know, we as a church need to understand this, that we have to go after the lies. We have to go after the false, not go after them, but we need to, yes, I do believe we need to go after the lies and the false teachings We need to react at times, but God help us to be proactive. I thank God for all of those. I saw those training in in Sunday school for rangers, I believe, uh, ranger leadership. I want to commend you because you're giving a foundation. 
You're being proactive. Come on, church. That's what we're all about. Discipleship is being proactive. It's being focused upon Christ. And if the church is doing those things, we're going to see children raised up in, in, with an understanding and a personal uh, uh, um, relationship with the Lord. And that's critical. How many of you know, I, 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 don't, I didn't read the story, and so I hope I'm not taking anything out of context. I may be, but I'm not going to delve too deeply into it. But I see there was a man who left the LGBTQ, you know, so forth, so on. And, uh, and he was, uh, I don't understand it, but he was facing prosecution. And in part of that was driven his uh, separation from that. And you say, well, how can that happen? Look, we're living in a world where a lot of things are happening. I mean, a world where people are being demonized for their faith, ostracized for their faith. I mean, where people are being told that if you don't conform, there's a price and there's a penalty to pay. There's exclusion, right? There, there is, uh, there, you are going to be ostracized. But you understand something. Well, that, can't, that cannot push the church into retreat. Come on, church. We got to prayerfully address the true issues of life. You know what we're going to have here at sometime soon? I've done it before. Is a, a celebration of biblical marriage. And we're going to celebrate that day. We're going to invite couples who have committed to one another in marriage to come and we're going to pray, uh, pray and bless that, that publicly. We're not speaking out against anything else, but we're not hiding who we are and what God's Word says. You know, some people will not even talk about these issues anymore because of the uh, potential and the liability for the idea that we're excluding. No, it's everybody is welcome to come to Jesus. Everybody is. But as married couples, how many of you would, would be here to take part and say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand with my spouse and we're going to celebrate this gift of marriage? We're going to highlight this gift of marriage that God has given between men and women, and we're going to rejoice. We're not going to stand here rebuking anyone else. We're not going to come here condemning others. We are going to come and we are going to celebrate that gift. Our kids need to see that we celebrate these things. These are good things. God, I pray that you will give us wisdom to rightly celebrate the things that you have so graciously given. So, how, how many, I need to get a show of hands so I know whether I'm allowed to do it. How many, how many would be up for something like that? Say, hey, we're not, we're not here to ostracize, criticize, or there would be no mention of anything else other than we are going to celebrate the gift of marriage in Christ. So why, why am I saying this? I'm saying that we have to go, we have to, we have to lay the foundation of truth. We cannot be afraid, and, and prayer, warring prayer, casts off timidity and fear. How many of you ever had those anxious moments, and you look and say, man, the, the prosecutorial element of our world toward Christians is getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter, and you know, and we get so wrung out that we really aren't showing forth much of who God is or what God's word says because we are making things that you know that's where we take this seeker friendly thing way too far 
because we make everything about making everything acceptable to everybody. And this gospel will never be acceptable to everyone. You know why? Because the Bible says the message of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. And we got no better message than that. We need to pray that God will give us a spirit of courage. How many ask for God to give you a spirit of courage today? That I, you know, that I can stand with grace and tact and love and not retreat. We don't have to be hateful. We don't have to be uh, mean-spirited. We don't have to draw preconceived ideas about individuals. But we can stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Come on, church. We are to stand strong. And God, we pray for that. I think about Acts 19, and it's, um, we're told about these itinerant Jewish exorcists who took it upon themselves, this is what Scripture says, to call the name of the Lord over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Uh, and there uh, also there were so, seven sons of Siva, a Jewish priest, high, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you. I wonder if the devils are asking the same thing today. In any measure, when they see the church, are they looking at us and saying, hey, we don't, we don't recognize your authority. We don't recognize who you are. And you know, God, I want to stand in you so that the devils have to take notes. And it says, then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on all of them, and the name of the Lord was magnified. Going back to David's battlefield experiences were a light, were a credit to him. You know, I think about when he came out uh, as a young boy, and uh, he brought his brothers their lunch in First Samuel seventeen thirty nine. You know the whole process. Eventually, by uh, the fact that no one else was willing to go forward, and David was confident that God would give him the victory, that David was going to go into battle. And so Saul was so generous to afford David the use of his battle armor. And it says David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, "I cannot walk with." these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. You know, we have to walk in, in uh, I call it authentic Christ, the authentic, authenticity of who God is. You know, we have to walk in what God has shown and revealed and proven time and time again. This is not a time for the church to change course and say, you know, what God has given us in the past doesn't work today. God, God always is on time. God is never out of date. There's no shelf life for the power of God's word, for the power of the Holy Spirit, for the power of effectual prayer, right? The, the, the power of intercessory prayer, the power of, of prayer that makes war in the heavens, in Christ. You know, how many of you believe that that kind of prayer does make a difference? If it didn't, why, why did Paul talk about it? 
David wasn't just looking the part. Some would have preened around in the battle armor and really felt very impressed with what they saw. But David realized that it wasn't him. It didn't fit. This is not the time for the church to move forward in Saul's armor. We've got to move forward in what God has revealed and shown to us and confirmed in his word to be true and continue to advance as believers. Now, I'm going to finish here. It's 11-18. Right war, right right battlefield. Ephesians 6-12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Here's, this is something I was thinking about. If we're going to fight the battle, then we need to be in the right, on the, we have to be fighting the right war, right battle. When we fight the wrong battle, we fight with the wrong enemy, and we use the wrong weapons, and we conclude with the wrong tragic results. Hear that again. When we, when we fight the wrong battle, we fight with the wrong enemy and with the wrong weapons, and we conclude with the wrong tragic results. You know, this isn't about personalities or people. This isn't about politicians. This isn't about, this is about the spirit that it drives all wickedness, that fuels the thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. This is against those frameworks, those mental frameworks that have been established that cause one to exalt against God, to deny his presence. And that can't be, you can't reason that out. You can't vote that out. And I think every Christian should vote. I think every Christian should be involved in the process that all of us should be living a life that is active where we have been given an opportunity to represent both Christ and our culture. But you understand are, are the ideals that repre- best represent the uh, culture, scriptural ideals. But you, you know that we can't be fighting people. We cannot fight people. And I'm going to say this because I, I find myself struggling with this. Uh, you know, there, there, there are people that have find themselves into places of political office. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to say this honestly, and I'm going to ask you to help me feel better by acknowledging if you've ever struggled with this. I find myself detesting people. Come on, anybody else? Well, not me. I just love them. How many Joe Biden fans are here today? And I'm not, I'm not suggesting anything either way, but you know what? I gotta tell you, I don't like watching the news because I find myself grow, the contempt growing toward people. And you know, God has really challenged me on this. Those are the people for whom Jesus died. You know, the people that are in these offices and are serving our country, there's no resolution going to change the United States of America without a move of God. There is absolutely nothing that will change any of it. And there is no political rhetoric, no legislation that will ever defeat the gospel. Because if you believe God's word, you believe nothing defeats his gospel. What is our commitment to the gospel? What is our commitment to, to seeking faith, you know, God's face? If you're upset because I said Joe Biden, uh, you know what? Uh, God, for God so loved Joe Biden that he gave his only begotten son. That if Joe Biden would believe in God, you know, God would, uh, 
that would save his soul just like he would mine or anybody else's. Galatians 5, 5 tells, or 5.15 says, But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You see, the wrong battle, the wrong enemy, the wrong objectives, and the wrong outcome. This isn't a battle of personalities or wills. This is something that Paul says, hey, be wary. If you're going to spend your time devouring and biting and devouring one another, watch out. There won't be anything left when you're done. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the, all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. God wants to baptize this church and all churches into a spirit of unity with the headship of Christ. Come on. He wants perfect unity. None of this, oh, you know, I'm a crusade. I I got a crusade for my cause, and I got a crusade for this, and you get this camp and that camp and this camp. There's no place for that in the body of Christ. One church, baptized by one spirit. And I'm not just saying that here. I'm saying all over the place. We've got so many denominations and strains and movements and uh, people following this guy and that guy and that lady and this lady and that one. And, and, you know, and we, we, God is not, how many of you know, when we get to heaven, there's no Baptist, no assembly of God, no charismatics, no nothing. I mean, we're all going to be the body of Christ. But you know what? I, you know, if we, we make this, we make our war on, on the dirt and not where it should be focused on the principalities and the powers and the uh, rulers of wickedness in high places and we're not pressing through on that, then we are misusing the weapons that God gave us. Know who your enemy is and know who your enemy is not. The Bible says, but against, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our battle is against spiritual rulers of darkness that influence, that influence the evil that we see taking place in our world today. You know, how many know that takes you a little higher and a little deeper than just praying that God's going to change those who's in office? You know, it goes further than that. It takes it straight to where the root cause is. It, you know, when we pray, you say, oh, what is this pray stuff? I'll tell you what it is. It's the only thing that works. Our battle is against the spiritual rulers of darkness, those forces, those spirits, those lying, seducing spirits, praying over our communities and praying over our neighborhoods. Because people say, I don't believe in territorial spirits. I got to tell you, I do believe that Satan is well organized. And the church sometimes is flailing around and all of it's there. My ministry, your ministry, their ministry, and we're running all over the place doing our thing. We've got to be one body in Christ, baptized in one spirit. All of us have our giftings and that we've been entrusted with, our our ministry opportunities, but it all has to be cohesive in Christ for his purposes. Yeah, for his glory. Well, forgive me. 
<laughs> just about blew a gasket there. <laughs> I'm almost done. I know. Rob, you can put that on my tombstone. I'm almost done. <laughs> Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual. I need to hear this word because I got to tell you, when I, when I see a man standing up front dressed like a woman, I'm not feeling warm and fuzzy. I'm not feeling it. And if I, I got to watch though, because what I can do is I can walk away feeling utter contempt. And I can judge somebody. You know, how many of us know that your sin and my sin might not have been as big as someone else's sin, but without the grace of God, you were going to the same hell that anyone else will go to. <laughs> we're not here because we're good. Not here because we, you know, we, we've done this or we've done. We're only here by the grace of God. Amen. There is only one way to defeat the spiritual enemies that seek to shipwreck our faith in Christ, and it is the Holy Spirit who works in believers. We are in Christ; He is in us. God, show us how to and empower us to love one another, so that we can love the world. If we don't love one another here, who are we trying to kid? We don't love those out there. Come on, church. The church that love is building. The church that the love of Christ is building. That's what God wants to do. Amen. 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 I don't know who said amen, but I like that. That was so good. Inspired me. You know, actually, I felt like I heard Pam Shorb say amen back there. I did. You know, I could hear. That sounded kind of like, like what Pam would have done. Jesus looked straight through men, and he saw the father of lies. That's important. You know, Jesus said that they were offsprings of their father, but, you know, he really was focused on the source. He was looking at the chief liar. He was looking at the father of lies. He was calling him out. He was exposing him. You know, when you, when you think about it, when Jesus looked at Peter, when Peter denied that Jesus would die upon the cross, he says, he says to him, uh, get thee behind me, Satan. He wasn't looking at Peter, right? He wasn't looking at Peter. He's not looking at a politician. He's not looking at a school board director. He's not looking at those people and saying, get behind me, Satan, in the sense that these people are the adversary. But we've got to recognize where all this stuff is coming from, and that calls us to some real deep intercession on behalf of a world that doesn't know Christ. You know what? I'm going to be honest for once. At the end of my sermon, I'm honest. But, you know, honestly, uh, I say that again. I must be trying to reinforce something so you'll believe it. But, um, I, um, I, you know, what I've been doing, is because I so need to hear one voice from God. Poor church, I, I, I don't come looking for me because I'll have to relocate. I, I find a closet and I get in it every Sunday. That's no lie. I, I don't want to hear anybody. Don't want to see anybody. Don't want to talk to anybody. Because I feel like I need to hear from him. And I got a good spot, so don't come spoiling it for me. I like dark rooms. I like quiet. I sit there. 
I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for this church. But understand something. I understand in my heart the need to hear from God. I got to hear Him. Because all it takes is, uh, you know, you start listening to every other voice and everybody's agenda and everybody's plan and their ideas. And next thing you come out here and you don't, you know, I just want to hear what God gives me. So if you don't see me around, it's not because I'm not in church. It's just that I, I appreciate, I think, what Jesus appreciated, that alone time. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. The right objectives. Let's fight on the right battlefield. It's a spiritual conflict in heavenly places. The wisdom of God is to be revealed in the highest places. Right objectives and goals. Weapons to destroy the strongholds. I love this scripture. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. How many hear that again? Are not carnal. They are not carnal. But they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. When you read that scripture, does that sound like a flesh and blood fight? Not at all. He's telling you where the fight is, right? He says that the fight is aimed at pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You know, I I truly believe that that begins in me first. Because we, we, it, it's easy to want to run and clean somebody else's house. Sometimes we've got to clean our own. Because there are, are mindsets that, that get out of whack. Anybody ever had that happen? Your mindset get out of whack. You start looking at things and it becomes more about flesh and blood than it does about what it's really about. I want to keep my eyes on... The real target here. Pulling down strongholds. I ask you to stand with me if you would. Pulling down strongholds. Destroying the strongholds that imprison the minds of unbelief. Pull down the strongholds that imprison the minds to unbelief and sin, Lord. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Show me. Lord God, what's inside of me. So that I can pray a prayer, Lord God, that is not contaminated. Lord, not flowing out of a tainted well. I like this, this little story. Very short. In Paul's uh, land, uh, native land of Cilicia, some 50 years before he was born, Roman authorities destroyed many rocky fortresses to defeat the pirates who had taken refuge in these strongholds. Do you get that picture there? Those little crags and crevices that became strongholds for the enemy 
The Roman armies went through and they searched those crags and crevices in those caves. Perhaps Paul saw the ruins and thought of the battle that needed to be done to conquer these fortresses. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Our weapons destroy the way, ways of hell that cause people to think from a mindset of darkness. Demolishing the sinful models that are presented. You know, I want to go after the things that... Um, How many, how many truly see this? You truly, truly see this, spiritually speaking. You can see it. You can see it. You don't have to. It's not a, a great thing. To, I mean, it's not a great mystery to anyone. But how many see the darkness behind what's happening in our schools? How many truly see the darkness that's involved in that process? This isn't just about, you, you understand, the Bible says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, professing to become wise, professing to be wise, they became fools. You understand what's happening here today is really the heart of hell in our society being unleashed. And church, it's not only our place to react to that. We need to get plugged in to what God is revealing and what God is showing and we're getting plugged into the Holy Spirit. I say this often and I don't know if we've just gotten tired of being Pentecostal or whatever it is at times or it just isn't as fashionable because people come in, do their 20 minutes and they're out. But church, you know, um, the altar's got to get hot again. The altar's got to get hot again. You know, people say, oh, there was a time when we'd stay all day and we'd sit, wait in the... I'm not saying you have to stay all day, but man, you know, we've got, we, we've got to break down what, whatever it is that has set a boundary here and says nobody, nobody comes. Nobody, nobody needs this anymore. It's not just the physical place, but there's something about when the, when the, when the fellowship of the saints come to a place, an altar, and they stand before God. They kneel before God. They lay down their hearts. Because, you know, we, we sometimes have a plan when people come to the altars of what we expect and hope to happen. But, you know, it would just be great for people to come to the altar and let the Holy Spirit orchestrate everything that, that happens. People, hearts broken, brought into restoration. People rejoicing and God bringing them to a place of greater joy. God healing relationships, God restoring things. You know, God can do that, you know. He, he can do that. He can do that. He can do multiple things at one time. But sometimes we, we say, well, I'm glad he called for uh, an unsaved person to come forward because that doesn't mean me. But you know something? When I was uh, 15, uh, 14, 15 years old, I started, my mom and dad 
recommitted their lives. I had gone to church since I was a little boy. My mom and dad really committed their lives when I was probably about 15, 14, 15. Little church, and I can tell you, when they, when they called those altars, and when they opened those altars, couldn't wait to get there. I'm just a kid. I didn't know why. I just knew that I just knew in my heart that God wanted me to go to those altars. And I got to tell you, it was at those it was at one of those altars. And you can do this anywhere, but God help us when we feel like there's no need for the altar services anymore. But it was at an altar where I gave my heart to Jesus. In that little church, I committed my life to the Lord. It was at that little church that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit as as a teenager. God filled me with the Holy Spirit. It was at that altar with people praying with me and that my the call of God was confirmed in my life, brought to confirmation. The pastor wasn't a great speaker. He wasn't, uh, he was average probably at just about everything, but the one thing he, he really did was he loved people. And he opened those altars up for people to come and they would come and he would, he would pray over them. But you know something, maybe his sermons weren't five-star Google, <laughs> but I got to tell you, those prayers that he prayed at that altar, they were 10-star. The Holy Spirit came down and he visited that house. And when those hands, I still feel those hands on my head as I was kneeling at that altar. And I'd hear that man praying in earnest and the Holy Spirit moving through him. And I remember that man spitting on my forehead as he got so excited and he would pray. And you know something? That was revolutionary and it changed the whole trajectory of where I know I would have gone if it hadn't been for those moments church, you know. I'm not here to guilt anybody. I'm just saying that uh, it would be a wonderful thing if we stampeded our altars without even invitation. I got to tell you, if if that happens on a Sunday morning and God calls for a stampede to the altars, you know what? I'm not getting in the way. I want God to do something here. Sometimes I get so distressed. My heart gets so burdened when I look at this world and I say, God, I don't know what to do anymore. You know, they say Christianity, uh, the, the profession of Christianity, I just read it yesterday, uh, is uh, declining across America. There are more people who are, are, are claiming to be just independent thinkers and not really committed to what once was bedrock each 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 uh, each decade it's it's dropping the number of people who continue in what they once believed or what they once thought and uh, this gentleman said that according to certain studies and I'm not I'm talking about their studies have been I take that for what it is they said by 2045 at the rate certain things are going, that those who truly live by Christian values is going to be in the minority. Lord, we just thank you today. But Lord, in this church, Lord, it's, uh, 
recognize that, Lord, we are never going to... How many, how many have prayed this prayer? I want, I want, not because of anything, but it has nothing to do with what it does, but it really does. And, but it, it, it's more about this, that we will never allow, we will never, ever allow, by God's strength, a war to consume this church. An internal war. Come on, how many else commit to that with me? We will never allow that to happen. We will never allow that. We want every demon in hell, every imp in hell to hear that Bethel Assembly of God will never, will never, will never allow. But God's grace and his help, we stand resolute through the finished work of Christ, shall never, shall never, by God's grace, by our profession of Christ, in Christ, this shall never become a battlefield where people wield the scripture against one another, that we wield our, our thoughts against one another. Come on, how many will say, let's take that declaration that, you know, this church will never, never be a playground for devils and demons and imps because God is calling this to be a resolute, holy, sanctified body of Christ, united in Christ under the headship of the Lord. How many, how many will, will commit to, to that? It will never We are going to do warfare in prayer. We're going to seek God. We are going to attack the strongholds. Lord, you know, we we ask that God help us to, to focus on the spiritual elements that, Lord God, are poisoning what flows into our culture, what flows into our schools, what flows into our society. God, we recognize that Jesus saw Satan behind what Peter spoke. And he rebuked him. He called him out and he rebuked him. He saw the lies that people told. And he said, you are of your father, the devil, for he is the father of lies. He called out the devil. Lord God, I pray that we will pray prayers that press through. Lord, I don't even know how to articulate this other than we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to be so full of the Holy Spirit that we can pray prayers that we'll never understand how to pray without the Holy Spirit leading us into that. Come on, church. That's where the problem lies. We have, we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to take us in our prayer lives to the places that are really where the battle is fought. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.